This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. As you are listening to us all over the place, you are going to make just, you're going to love today's story. It's so inspiring, such an impactful story. Today's story, well, I don't want to give it all away. Martha, before we get to today's story. We need to have people get connected with us. We Let's have some people give us some phone calls about something. <laughs> about something, about Any, something, anything. Something, something, that's right. Okay, so our listener line is 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. You can find that on our contact page of our website, which is iwork4him.com. And it's called the listener line. And there you can leave up to a minute message. And we've had some great messages from people, Jim, over the time that we've had this phone number where people just, you know, there's a story that they heard that really touched them or motivated them or challenged them. And um, we want to hear those stories. So please call in. Give us a call. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. Pick (laughs) up the phone. Give us a call. 866-713-9675. 866-713-WORK. You know, we tell you all the time, you know, leave us a message. Tell us about somebody that you think their story needs to be shared on iWorkFrame. We tell you that all the time. We love to hear stories of just everyday average Joes and Josephines that are just living out their faith in what they do every day. Well, That's what we're going to hear today. Through the years, I've learned a few things, and this is one of them. You have to be selfless to be a nurse. It's a real calling. You experience death and dying and real sickness every day. You take orders from short-staffed doctors. Some nurses work in homes, some in hospitals, some in clinics, and some in doctor's offices. Of course, there are those who work on the battlefield and in emergency rooms. Being a nurse is one where you take the job knowing that you will likely be underappreciated, but where you can make a difference every day of your working career, and you know that you are making a difference every day. You know, one final example is that of the hospice nurse. Every day they go to work and deal with end-of-life issues. Today we get to talk to one such nurse out of Jacksonville, Florida. His name is Kirk Walker Sr. He's a listener on our stations up there in Jacksonville and sent me a copy of his book that he wrote, God's Voice Through a Nurse. And I just, I wanted you guys to get to meet Kirk Kirk Walker Sr. And so I said, let's do a show. So Kirk Walker Sr., welcome to I Work For Him. Uh, thank you, Jim and Martha. The greatest hour on television, and the reason it goes by so fast because it is so enlightening and so enjoyable that you don't want it to go. That- and so I totally love it and listen to it every afternoon at 4 o'clock here in Jacksonville, uh, uh- Florida, and totally grateful. Just stumbling on it. By no chance, but God led me to this station, and I've been hooked on every since. Well, I just want to make sure I clarify for the listeners, we're not on TV because I was told I had a face for radio, Kirk. You mean on the radio on the truth. Because <laughs> <laughs> all my friends said I had a face for radio. So, all right, Kirk, I loved your book, and I want to thank you for writing your book because, you know, a lot of people think, well, I don't have anything to say, or I can't write a book because I'm not a writer. What I love about your book is it's real, it's raw, it's your stories, it's your life. I want to make sure I encourage people all throughout the show today to get a copy of your book on Amazon. They can go out to Amazon and get a copy of your book, God's Voice Through a Nurse, Kirk Walker Sr. Let's just start off with just a a question. We always start off with questions of faith, but before we get to faith, I think there's a person you need to introduce our audience to. 
your grandmother, Big Mama. She played a huge role in your life. Tell us about Big Mama. I, I had what we call a real Big Mama. She was uh, the individual that could stand up and make a general cry, but she could also hold a baby and bring a smile to his face. Mm-hmm. She was from one end of the spectrum to the other. This is where I spent the majority of the first five of my years growing up. Because at the time, there was no such thing as daycare or in-school, preschool. Right. So I was blessed. that Actually, she was the one that delivered me. I was born in the house where they lived at, uh, the youngest of six siblings. And my grandmother was the first one to bring me and welcome me to the world. Such a strong but yet loving lady. Uh, she would do to make sure everybody she would sell or sacrifice whatever she had to do to make sure her family and the neighbors all got what they deserved or wanted without ever thinking about what she needed or wanted. She went without so many days, and I was able to witness that as she shared love with others. She had the strength to to carry others through their pain and hurt through love of lost ones, but she had the love and compassion to be there to birth most of the babies of the county where we lived at. Now, what where, what uh, state was, was that in? Uh, we were in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay. Very good. Yes, so, sir. So your grandma, which goes by Big Mama, did you call her Big Mama? Did everybody call her Big Mama? Everybody called her Big Mama. That was that was. So, what, I love that. That's so awesome. And she's the one who introduced you to Jesus. She was. Tell us about that there story. Many times, as we talk about Grandma's hands, yeah. they're the ones that I would watch work and scuffle all day. But then at night, she would teach me to get on my knees on the side of the bed, and we would pray and give thanks every night before we ever thought about getting in the bed. And Big Mama led me to believe there was there was a God, and she was my light in my life, which made sure that I was grounded in faith and not in the world. Mm. It's so powerful to have an adult, that kind of a person of influence that's not our parents, but somebody that influential in our lives. And not everybody has the privilege of getting to even know their grandparents in today's world where families are spread out all over the country. Kirk, that played a huge role in your life, having a grandmother right nearby. Because I know that during the day, not only was she talking to you about Jesus, but she was whacking you upside the head with a four, with a two by four when you got out of control too, wasn't she? Most definitely. She she talk about, uh, as it's stated in the Bible, spare no rod, she spared no rod. <laughs> she was totally from one end or the other. She would be loving and, and squeezing you at the same time, be smacking somebody else for something that was wrong. She was the type of individual, if you were right, she stood by you. If you were wrong, she would correct you. All I can think about right now, she probably was a phenomenal cook as well, wasn't she? Ah, everything that she touched, she could touch dirt and make it melt in your mouth. (laughs) She could cook cook a rock and you would swear you wanted seconds before the bowl was empty. (laughs) Awesome cook. Mm. So Uh, from the background of a sharecropper to becoming a midwife was a story of a life that a legacy that she had that I truly felt was just Mm. I was so blessed to be a part of. Mm. 
Wow. I'm glad she had such an amazing influence on your life so you could share your story today. So why did you decide or when did you actually decide? Because she introduced you to Jesus, but you still had a time in your life where you had to decide you wanted to be a Jesus follower. When did you actually make that decision and say, okay, I'm all in? Uh, actually, it wasn't until I was 15, you know, doing just kind of running around with the boys in the neighborhood and and having fun and doing things, always going to church. I was always in the church. I had a brother that's two years older than I was, and he was to be a senior in high school, and we were we would go to church together. He was the man of the house for me, mm. being a single parent. And I went and started going to church with him and really got into singing in the choir, doing the usher, and really decide this is where my life is. It's not hanging out. It's not doing anything out in the streets with the boys. It's, I, I'm all in for God. Uh, we had to do, back then, we had to do four weeks of praise and worship to become members of the church. I did that the night before I got ready to get baptized. All week long, I had a wonderful night. Saturday night came up, start feeling nausea, vomiting. Sunday morning, I couldn't hardly open my eyes. I'm laying in the bed. Back then, it was a big deal to lay in mother's bed, in the big bed in the house. Yeah. I'm laying in the bed, and she's saying, well, you don't have to get up and go. You're feeling you're feeling bad. You can go next time. But this was the day of baptism. Today, we're highlighting the life and the book and the story of a listener. A listener who reached out to us and said, hey, I've got a story of what God's been doing in my work life. I want to share it with you, Jim and Martha. And that's what we're always looking for. We love those stories, don't we, Martha? Oh, yeah. It is so exciting when we hear not only that someone is uh, listening and learning, but also that they have something to share about what God's been doing in their work life. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. And the fact that um, you, Kirk Walker, decided to contact us, let us know about this book and and what God's been doing in your life. And now we get to share it with our listeners. That's right. So pick it up. You're, you're, you're laying in your mom's bed and you're feeling sick. It's, it's Sunday morning. You're supposed to be going to church to get baptized. And what's going on? Yes, sir. So at this point, um, faith is, is, has been growing steadily. So at this point, I'm, I'm thinking all Saturday, all week long, I had been feeling great, doing everything I wanted to do, run and play ball. Had an absolutely fantastic week. Then Sunday morning, I'm feeling bad, and I'm thinking, you know, hey, it's just the devil trying to hold me back. Hmm. So I told my mother, I said, if you'll just help me get dressed uh, and drive me up to the church. We lived about three blocks from the church. Normally, we would walk. I said, if you just drive me and take me up there, I'll get into church because I'm not going to miss this day of baptism. This is what it's all about. I struggled, got into church. We went there, did our morning service. Time to come to the baptism. So the, my brother helped me struggle. I'm feel, feeling queasy, weak. I hadn't had anything to eat in over 24 hours because I couldn't keep anything down. And I'm just praying, God, don't let me throw up in the baptism pool. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he gets me in there, and we go down once, and we come up, 
I'm just feeling worse, and I'm praying, oh, God, keep me from throwing up. This is all I can think at this point. I go down for the second time, and when I came up the third time, it was like a whole redress, a renewing of the body. I had no illness, no felt, no pain, no sickness or anything. When I stood up, it was just like I was renewed, and that's what it was all about. And right then and there, I knew this is what God is all about. This is his love and his life, all his sacrifice has been answered. My grandmother's prayers have been answered. Uh, so let me ask you a question. You just you talked about something that I'm, I've never heard before. So when they baptized you, you got dunked three times. We, yes, so we got tell dunked us about three that. times. Talk to us about that. That's, that's, that's a different tradition, but traditions are awesome. What's, what, what's the re, what is the explanation behind the, the triple dunk? The first time is for the father. The second time is for the son. And the third time is for the Holy Spirit. And you were very glad they dunked you all three times because you were evidenced yes. of what God was doing inside of you at the same time that you had some physical uh, change in your life. That's awesome. So, Kirk, early on in your life, and I, I know you, you had six siblings. You guys lived in a four-room home as you're growing up with Big Mama and your mom. And, and But you were taught to serve you were because you had to help around the house. How did Big Mama yes. and, and your mom introduce you to service at home, and how did that lead to a life of, of, of nursing? We were always taught somebody, you always serve the person, whoever it is that with you, you serve them first ever before you decide. There were days when my mother and my grandmother would make sure everybody else had something to eat, and there wouldn't be anything left. So as watching them to do without to make sure somebody else had something. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, the fulfillment and the joy that you get out of watching somebody else become happy, that became like an addiction and understanding this is what life, this is what it must feel like every time Christ blessed somebody to just watch somebody else smile and know you were a part of that. And so, I never knew until after I had become an adult that my grandmother, what a midwife was actually was, and and that she had been a midwife. All I ever knew when she was growing up, she'd have on this white uniform and she helped people mm. because I wasn't that very into the health care or the education of the medical field. So, But it was later on in life when I found out that the prophecy just kind of followed in her footsteps without even knowing. Oh, that's pretty I, neat. I, I had no desire. Growing up, I kept swearing I would never be a nurse. I would never be a nurse. Uh -oh. Everything that ever came. So you told God, <laughs> you told God no and never. That is not wise. <laughs> Every time we tell God no and never, it always seems like that's the direction we go. But I, you know, I read your whole book and I never even made that connection. Your grandmother, Big Mama, as a midwife, she was a nurse for so much of her life, delivering children all over your neighborhood, I'm sure. You, know, you saw that yeah. in action and you saw her bring people into life. Uh, that's, and, and that just, that really impacted you, didn't it? It did. And that 
also, as a child, it makes you think that, ooh, it makes you sick. I got a, oh, got a weak stomach. I'll never be able to do this, you know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, no, I'll do anything else. Growing up in a blue-collar world, that's, that's where I saw my life at, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, working in a factory. That was the extent that I saw my, my life. So what changed? And be off on the weekends. What changed for it. you? What changed for you then in your life that led you to where you are today um, in the in the nursing profession? I I was a, I a friend of mine. We we was working in the hospital. I was uh, working in the dietary department, and a friend of mine came by the house, and he said, uh, "On the bed." hey, you want to go to respiratory school with me? And uh, I bet you can't do that. <laughs> and I say, well, I can do anything I want to do. I'll go to school with you. Not a problem, you know? And I went to, got signed up for respiratory therapy, and he he never showed up. <laughs> so I, I, I had no idea what respiratory therapy was, but... If he was going to do it and tell me I couldn't do it, I'm going to do it. So did he double dog? We did he double dog dare you? I mean, did he double dog dare you, or how did he get you to do it? I mean, that sounds like a pretty big yes, dare. Yes, he was like, you know, uh, come on, I bet you can't go uh, this year. You can't do it. It's pretty tough. When you, you, you you can't do this, okay? I can do. I can do anything you can do. I'm the smartest man I ever met. <laughs> <laughs> when you started learning, when you started learning re- respiratory therapy, I, lo- I love your friend. Are you still friends with that guy or not? I am. We show. He showed up. I mean, he never showed up. School started. He never showed up. I never knew all that was entailed. They call them snot suckers. You know, it's what they do. It's not, it's. Oh, that's they, what respiratory only, therapists are. Yes. I only thought we worked breathing machines and we saved lives. I'm a young man. I'm arrogant. Yeah, I'm going to be walking around doing this breathing machine, saving lives. That's what the picture I got in my mind. When I got in there and I found out what we were actually going to be doing, dealing with different body parts and things like that, I went to quit. And uh, the shiverous part of me, I let this other lady, young lady, other student go before me. And when she went in to quit, the instructor, because we, they only chose 24 out of 150 people mm. to, to go to the class. So he said, you can't quit when you start, no matter what. And I thought, later on, man, you can't tell me I'm going to quit. I've quit other things in life. I'll quit this too. So after she went in and he gave her the riot act, and he let her out. She was screaming and crying. Then he said, what can I do for you? Well, at this time, I was like, well, you know what? I've already fixed my problem. I'm going back to class. (laughs) (laughs) But you once you got a taste of respiratory therapy as as really I I know they didn't call you a nurse at that point in time because you didn't have a nursing degree. But you got to feel you got to feel for serving others. How did that impact you? I absolutely love that, you know, when you go in, when when people in the hospital, that's one thing we used to have. That was one of the bigger parts. I used to have to go with my grandparents to to do what they call visit the sick and shut in. Mm-hmm. We did that every weekend. 
which that's not something they do much anymore in these days. Right. Everybody just kind of stay to themselves. So we would go to people's homes and hospitals and visit people. I mean, the sick and the shut-in. So when I was able to go and visit patients, and I still do enter their rooms at the hospital, this is their lowest point. And just to sit there and talk with them, I wouldn't have to do any other treatment. That would bring joy to them. Talking today with one of our listeners, Kurt Walker Sr. He wrote a book, God's Voice Through a Nurse. You can check it out online on Amazon.com, God's Voice Through a Nurse. Kurt Walker Sr. listened to us out of our Jacksonville audience, and he shared his book, and he shared his story, and we wanted to share it with you because it's so powerful. So, Kirk, you were sharing about how, you know, when you were younger, your, you got, your family used to go in and do hospital visits and visit with the sick and the shut-in. So you were familiar with doing that and having a connection to patients. How did that work into what you were doing then in the hospital? I found that although I was in a role as a respiratory therapist, I was doing people more good in the role of ministry. Mm. I was able to go and sit at people's bedside, hold their hand, share a smile, uh, serve, and uh, that was the, and pray with them. That was the greatest gift that I could give them. I found that the medicine that the medical world and the, the things that they were doing were not the greatest benefit that these people were receiving. So, therefore, learning that brought joy to my heart watching somebody else smile simply at the worst and lowest time of their life. Now I could breathe sunshine and I could bring prayer and relief for them as I had received. Mm. That's so powerful. So, so is that the point in your life where you saw that the work that you were doing helps you to connect your faith with what you were doing as a nurse? Yes. It, it, it brought quite clarity about, Uh, How Jesus actually, before that, it's like you hear Jesus say, always serve, put others first, love unconditional. These things that we read, but not necessarily really feel or understand. Mm -hmm. And growing up in church, I had read these things quite often and heard them preach quite often. But it really didn't, as they say, click until I got to this point. And it was a aha moment. This is what it's all about. This is what serving is all about. Not necessarily taking a dinner or buying or something. It's giving the love, the patience and compassion that just your time is the greatest gift to give somebody. You made a very powerful statement. In fact, I'll call it a tweetable tweet. You know, you realized that you were, you were going in there to do respiratory therapy, but you realized that you were do, you were doing more good in the ministry to the soul, when you actually saw them as people and talked to them as people. Did you ever get in trouble from the hospitals that you're working in for talking too much, though, and not, you know, because they want you always moving from one room to the next to the next to the next. Did you ever get in trouble for ministering and praying? I did. I was was approached on several occasions uh, where several of the managers would, this would say I was disrupting their uh, their patient care. Their staff had jobs to do, and I would be in there with their patients, disrupting the time. But thanking God that I had one of the most loving and compassionate managers 
over my department who just said, okay, we would arrange times where when during your time, your break or something, you could just go walk around and visit people. I mean, I would just walk and see the doors would be open and somebody looked as though they were in need of uh, just somebody to come and say hello. I would just just go in and introduce myself and tell them God was real and prayer still works. Mm. And he was so compassionate because he believed in prayer that he never got onto me anything. He just said, work around it. Go to these floors where their managers also believe in prayer. So when you would go in and and talk to the patients, I assume oftentimes there was family members in there too. How did they respond? I, some, some of the family members were quite, uh, those that believed in prayer were, were quite receptive. But then, of course, growing up in the, in the world that I grew up, a lot of people didn't uh, believe in prayer, so they were trying. Okay, well, why? What makes you so special? What? Why do you believe in prayer? And after I shared testimony and showed that I'm not here to do anything other than to pray with somebody and ask God to come into their life and relieve their situation, mm-hmm. then most of the time they were very humble and accepting. Mm. That's fabulous. You had lots of lots of different types of jobs at lots of different types of hospitals. As a, you started respiratory therapy, then you moved into lots of different fields before you became an RN. How did God move you through the? What were some of those jobs? Because I, I can't even remember them all as I read through the book a few months ago. What, what what were some of the other things that you did besides respiratory therapy? Yes, I I did uh, cooking. I did. Uh, uh, warehouse in the in the hospital. I was in charge of their uh, supplies. I was a physical therapy assistant. I worked as a tra- patient transporter. I did quite a few different. Uh, so I was well-rounded and got to see people in every aspect from administration of the building all the way down to the patient care side in the emergency room. So from when they first came in until discharge, I got the pleasure of being involved in patients at every aspect. So at what point then, so you've had all these different exposures within the hospital and, and um, I can only imagine what a great employee you were because you sound like, you know, with, with service as being one at a core value for you, um, I'm sure that showed up in everything you do. How were you able to then go to school to become an RN? I was, Walking past a lady's room, as we, the picturesque of a grandma, she was about four foot eleven, silver hair, <laughs> weighed about eighty pounds. As I was walking past her room, her door was open, and she was in a ball, as what we call a fetal position, balled up, crying and screaming because she was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. Me being the person of the hospital that I was. I'll go and get your nurse and have them come and give you something for, for your pain to get you, stop you from suffering. I'm still in this mode of what I can do. So I walk down and I talk to the nurses, go down and help this lady. I never met her and help her give her something for pain. 
and they sat around the desk. Everybody said, sure, yeah, we'll do this. I went to visit two other patients of mine. I came back probably about 30, maybe 45 minutes later, and this little lady was still balled up screaming and crying mm-hmm. how much in pain that she was. And she said nobody was coming to help her, and there was nothing she could do. And it touched my heart right at that moment to the point I said, I will never, ever say, I'll go and get your nurse. I'll become a nurse. So another patient will never have to go through this as long as I'm around. Wow. That's, and that's what, yes, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, but it costs money to go be a nurse. And and you're, you know, you're working lots of different shifts to take care of you and Fiona and your family. How did you, how did God provide for you to go back and get that degree? Because at this point, now this was April, I never forget, it was April when I went to say, to talk to the dean at the School of Nursing. She said in February they had mailed out the letters for you to become a nurse, all the students. So there was no slots available. But I could put you on the list, you'll be waiting number 110, meaning 109 people would have to quit before you could get in this year's class, but I'll put you first in the next year's class. Mm. I told her, I say, if God wants me to be a nurse, he'll make a position for me. So I just kept praying. I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, you'll make a way for me. So I continued life the way it was, not making any changes. Two weeks before school start, they called me and asked me, did I still want to go to school to be a nurse? And I said, yes. And they say, well, we got a physician for you. So now I'm thinking I've got to cut back hours and try and rearrange schedules. How am I going to do this in two weeks when class starts? I, I, I just prayed. I said, God, if you made this possible, you'll make a way. Yeah. The next morning I walked into my supervisor's, my manager's office told her I was going to nursing school. I said, and this is what I need. She said, stop right there. You tell me whatever you need, we'll make it work. <laughs> That's a sign of a good employee because they wanted to keep keep they, you around and make it work for you. That's fabulous. While you were in nursing school, though, your mom died. How did you deal with that? Yes. That was that was a touching story, and I appreciate you sharing it in your book, Kirk Walker Senior. As you wrote this book, God's Voice Through a Nurse, tell us a little bit about that because that was a that was a pretty tough that was a tough time. My mother was my soul world. She was the only one in world that could actually tell me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And I would just say, yes, ma'am. Mm. That was no question. Because I watched her work two, sometimes three jobs as a single parent to make sure we had everything we did, we wanted to grow up, to make sure we had a better life than she did. She walked in shoes that had holes in them, would put newspaper in the bottom of them to keep from buying herself new shoes so we could have clothes. So when she died, it was like, that was the week before finals, before the end of my first year of nursing school. Mm. That was my sole 
support my soul world, my cheerleader, my my self-corrector, my strong hand, everything. So now this is who I go to when everybody bring their problems to me. Now that has been taken away from me. And now I have nobody but God to trust on now. Because as I had heard before, and I was going to God, but now she has been taken out of the picture. So I learned solely to trust God from that point. He was the only one that could carry me through what I was going through. So had you not met Fiona yet, your bride? Yes, I had met Fiona as a respiratory therapist. Nice. I had... We worked in the hospital, the University of Arkansas, together. Kirk Walker Sr., one of our listeners who's written a book and shared it with Martha and I. We'd love to hear your faith stories. You don't have to write a book to do it, but you do have to reach out to us, 866-713-9675. Or, of course, you can always get a hold of us off our website, iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. Kirk Walker Sr. is a nurse, and we were just hearing his story of uh, of how he became a nurse and how God provided miraculously for it. Now, Kirk, through this story, you're losing your mom, but you'd already met Fiona. How long have you and Fiona been married now? Uh, we've been married now 26 years. And how many kids do you guys have? We've got four, four boys. Oh, four boys. Oh. Now, how yeah. many of those boys acted just like Kirk Walker when he was a boy? Uh, let's say uh, I was never surprised when the teacher called me. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> I would say that. And that was when I used to go to a parent-teacher meeting. I would say, I'm going to tell you up front. I, knew, I know who their daddy is, so I'm not going to be surprised if you call me about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love, love, love that. Okay. All right. So how did God move you into the realm of being a hospice nurse? Uh, my uh, career as a bedside nurse was, of course, ICU trauma nurse, the prestigious role. And I was considered to be one of the top wherever I, I worked at different hospitals, but I was considered to be the top that they would, everybody wanted me to work for in their unit. I was preparing for years, 20 years in the medical field. I was, I was curing everybody. Then all of a sudden, the last three months, I'm working. I'm saving one life and help preparing another one at the same time for transition at the end of life. And after about three months, I prayed to God. I said, I don't know what you're telling me. After 20 years, I, I wasn't dealing with death, maybe five now, all of a sudden, every day, I'm dealing with death. Mm -hmm. What is it that you're trying to tell me? And about a week later, two ladies come in, two nurses from hospice came in to see a patient I was working with. And they were like, you know, we're come to take care of this patient's end of life. And I said, there's nothing you can do here. I've already prepared the patient and the family. So only thing we're doing is waiting on time right now. I've already prayed with him, so he's just going into the end of life now. And they was like, well, come and work for us. I had never heard of hospice. I walked in the hospice because they said, come and interview with my manager. I went to see the manager, and she offered me a job on the spot. 
I should say, go down. I say, yes, sure, I'll come work with you. Uh, she say, well, go down to Human Resources and tell them to hire you and get ready to start work. I say, sure. I walked out of that and I went home. I was like, I'm not going to work for hospice and talk about the end of life every day. That's crazy. That's what I said to myself. So I went home. About a week later, she called me. And I was like, well, I can't take your job because uh, I, I, I have to have a certain schedule for my school, my boys' school. She said, we'll give you whatever schedule you want. <laughs> and then I said, well, the, the, the money, I can't make the money I'm making out to you. She said, well, let's see how we can make a difference. Everything for the next three months I could come up with, God would answer to the point and take it away from me. So he was designing that. No matter what excuse I gave, I was going to work for hospice. <laughs> so after a three-month period, I finally called her and just said, okay, I'm out of excuses. I have to take your job as a hospice nurse. And, and she employed me. Wow. And that's where I started working for hospice and learned I could go and share my faith and pray with people because as I tell people, you can turn the television on to any channel just about you. It'll show you to eat right, to exercise, to take a pill, and you'll live forever. But we never talk about the end of life. So we don't know how to deal with the end of life. So therefore, the ministry, God comes in and allows me to talk to people, share his light and teach them how to pray and make sure that they are saved before they transition through the end of life. So tell us an amazing story from your recent years that you've been in hospice of seeing God at work through your nursing hands. Say that again for me. Share a story Share. with us about how okay. you've seen God at work in your hospice career with a, with a one patient. Of the greatest, one of the greatest stories I, I still I walked into, because the first three months I had come out of ICU, I was, mm -hmm. I was in charge, and I thought I was doing this job. <laughs> and it became so heavy on my mind, I couldn't eat or sleep. I was losing weight, and I thought I was losing my mind. I had to go down to the river, and I sat on the bench, and I told God, I said, if you're supposed to, if I'm supposed to do this, you're going to have to carry this burden. I can't carry this burden anymore. Mm. I say there are two choices. I can get up and walk away from the world right now and just disappear. Or I'll go back and I'll give this journey to you and trust this is what you want me to do. I say, but if it doesn't work, then I'll still walk away from the rest of the world and disappear family and everything. That's how bad the stress had come over. Mm. And I got up and now I go back every day and I don't know where I'm going or who I'm talking to, but I just kind of show up and say, God is here. It's kind of like when he talked to Moses, Moses kept saying, well, I'm not the eloquent one to speak. He said, I'll have somebody to do that for you. And so I went to this lady's room I had never met her before. She was hooked up to the breathing machine, the ventilator. Had not, had been in a coma over a week. Had done nothing to move. They couldn't 
understand why she was still alive. But she had two children, a son and a daughter, and they had called them in. I had never met them before. But before they walked in the room, I said, I don't know why your mother's spirit is still holding on. I said, but she's holding on for a reason. I said, whatever it is between you two, you need to fix it now. (laughs) Because when we go in here, you need to reassure her that you're going to be okay once she transitions out of this world into the next. We walked into the room. One stood on the right side of the bed. One stood on the left side of the bed. They looked at each other. They broke down and started crying, said, I forgive each other, and we'll be okay. She raised her right hand up in the air, put it down on the bed, and then the monitor went flat. Mm. And we all looked at each other, and I was just stunned, like, wow, you know, this Mm. is God's power, and she transitioned. Mm-hmm. So, and God gave you such wisdom to speak those words into those children in that moment. Yeah, I bet you've I bet you've gotten the opportunity to speak those words into a lot of kids because there's a lot of times that <laughs> they need to face that. Let's. I, I wish I'd had a chance to forgive my mom or dad or to have that conversation. I know that that's out there, Kirk. Before we run out of time, you're a listener to I Work for Him. You get to hear our shows on a regular basis. What's What's one thing you want to speak to our audience here in the last couple of minutes? I would love to tell your audience, first thing is continue to listen to I Work For Him. Because that's how my life has been turned around. And I've been given the proof that not just, and it has to be a powerful individual, but just an ordinary Joe or Joanne that God can use to continue to do the work. There's never a moment where you're worthless or not worth anything. God thinks everybody is worth sending his son to give his life for us. So continue to live and allow him to live through you that his life will always bring peace in your life and love to everyone you come across. Mm. You also said something earlier that you wanted to speak about the darkness. That Sometimes there's dark times. Yes. There are times when definitely the world is going to tell you, put you in a place of what we call depression, but there's a place it's trying to, the stronger your light and the stronger your relationship with God, the stronger the forces are going to be trying to penalize you and destroy you. So when you seem as though you're at your darkest time, never give up, hold on, continue to pray because at that point, God has a breakthrough coming for you to a witness to the rest of the world that he is still in charge. Mm. So powerful. Kirk Walker, Sr., thanks for sharing a little of your story today. Thanks for sharing your book with Martha and I, God's Voice Through a Nurse. I look forward to meeting you one day face-to-face, but we do thank you for being an I Work for Him today. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you. I pray your show continue to be a success and continue to bring, as I say, grace and peace for those ordinary individuals such as mine to let us know that we do value and we are somebody. Amen. Oh, I, and we're so grateful that you say those words. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for, for Him. him.